Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Sean. On today's episode, I am thrilled to welcome back author and theologian Brian McLaren to the podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I talked to Brian about his upcoming book, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. Uh, Brian and I got deep in the weeds about his book, about how he's divided up into no, you shouldn't stay Christian, yes, you should stay Christian, and how do you navigate both of those things. We dig into that. We talk a lot about the world around us. We talk about how to navigate interesting conversations. There's, It's so much. I don't even want to waste time telling you about it. I just want to get you right through the episode. Now, if you're listening and you go, I don't know who Brian McLaren is, let me tell you about him. Brian McLaren is an author, speaker, activist, and public theologian. A former college English teacher and pastor, he's a passionate advocate for a new kind of Christianity, just, generous, and working with people of all faiths for the common good. He is a faculty member of the Living School and podcaster with Learning How to See, which are part of the Center for Action and Contemplation. He is also an Auburn Senior Fellow and is a co-host of Southern Lights. His newest book, was Faith After Doubt, which released in January 2021. And the book that we talk about today, Do I Stay Christian, releases on May 24th, 2022. Um, It's excellent. I really think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get there, I do want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Brian is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, he's been on the show before. I'm excited to bring him back again to talk about his latest book, but the always impressive, the never shy for words, Mr. Brian McLaren. Brian, how are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I am so happy to be with you, Joe. I, I love every chance we get to talk. Good to be here. I, you know, it was, it was interesting. We, um, we had seen each other actually in person recently at a, at a yes. conference. Yes. The, where, I believe where we go from here, if I recall, correct. Yes. right. By where, where do we go from here? Yes. Where do we go from here? Yes, that's correct. And it was such an incredible day of learning and, and fellowship and just getting to, to talk yes with you and yes with others that I came away inspired um, and encouraged with a lot of new perspectives in how to view the world. And so I'm excited to kind of weave a little bit of that into our conversation today. But before we get into all of that, as I do at the Detox Podcast, for those who may be tuning in for the first time, we like to invite people to quote unquote detox from the world around them for a little bit mm-hmm. of time and get a window into how other people live their lives. So I want to ask you, Brian, what are you yes. currently detoxing from? Hmm. Well, um, I maybe I, I probably like a lot of people, I am feeling the weight, you know, of so many struggles, the, mm. our, our climate crisis, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, our own crazy divided politics. I live in Florida and our governor just seems to think that he can gain more power by making the lives of trans children and their families more difficult. And so all of those things are, are weighing me down. um, I guess like everybody, but I um, next week I'm going to get away into the mountains and then I'll be home for a week working. And then I have another week away. So I'm, I've been sort of straining toward the finish line and I'm almost at at a place where I'm going to get some rest. So that'll be great. That is good. You know, it's interesting. You talk about, um, the need to, to, well, maybe not the need, but the ability to get away and and reconnect. You mentioned the mountains. And so we're going to talk about that, right? Because one of the things in the book about how do you stay Christian is re the re wild. And so we'll, we'll circle back to that momentarily. I find 
what I am trying to detox from, and I had a good lengthy conversation with a friend of mine last night about um, not, how do I say this? I, I said it last night and she redirected the words in which I said it. So I had said that I am looking for a way to, to protect my essence when I'm having certain conversations on a, of yeah. a sensitive nature and not be like a bit of a sponge and hold it all in. I had asked, I said, how can I continue to protect myself? And, and her response back to me was, I don't think you need to focus on the managing of the energy and the emotions, but allow yourself to, to listen and, and mm -hmm. be aware of it and let it flow through you and then out of you and mm -hmm. almost like let it pass through. And then she's like, you're just allowing everything to, to take its natural course, but you're not trying to be in control of how, yes. of your emotions and your feeling. And I said, that, that was a light bulb moment for me. So I am trying to detox from the, the perspective of needing to control either my own quote unquote safety, right. Or, yes. or just the room, the, whether virtual or in person room around me without realizing that that is, that is a, a lost cause, so to speak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's a lot of wisdom there and we spend a lot of our lives trying to see it and then internalize it and then live that. So good for you. That's yes. beautiful. Thank you. I want to, I want to talk about, so your latest book, do I stay Christian, a guide for the doubters, the disappointed and the disillusioned. I think this book is quite timely um, for a lot of reasons, for a, for a lot of not me and you reasons, right? For a lot of folks reasons, but then especially in the conversation here. So for those who do know, um, so I recently uh, came out as a member of the LGBTQ plus community last year and then recorded that story on a podcast recently that I shared. And when that episode released, I found a lot of folks from my former life where I was a regular churchgoer, a regular attendee, reaching out saying this very question, do I stay Christian? Yeah. Because they said, I, I have my religious beliefs and convictions that I hold firm to, and yet, and yet, I do not see a, 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 a normal social understanding of the world in which we live in in the building that I'm occupying. I see a, <laughs> yeah, a lot yes. of the, the like, um, you bring it up in the different pathways um, later, but the, um, the like, the, almost like the binary way of thinking, right? The us versus yes, them mentality. Yes. And they said, that yes. doesn't sit with me well. I feel like yeah. there's more that we could be doing, but I, I'm afraid to vocalize it because I feel yes. that I will be shouted down or excommunicated yes, yes. to a certain point. So I want to flip it to you and say, what was your um, underlying driving factor for writing this book in 2022? Yes. Well, l let me say, you know, this struggle with my religious identity that people were just articulating to you, you know, has been me with me since I was a teenager on many different levels. I mean, it started with science and evolution. And I grew up in a church where we weren't allowed to believe in evolution. Yeah. And, um, and, and through the years, it's, uh, you know, there have been a lot of different issues, but recently what seems to be happening is major sectors of the Christian religion in the United States, whether this is conscious or unconscious, intentional or unintentional, they have been won over to a kind of political and social ideology that suddenly is, it's, it's showing new levels of hostility. <clears throat> and, and sometimes it's, racial insensitivity sometime and 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 this resurgence of white christian nationalism which let's be honest is the word nationalism and christian doesn't camouflage yeah. very well right. the the white supremacy that's that's underneath it yeah and so all of these issues are bubbling up in many church settings I, i'll tell you i think we all many people uh, many of us have seen this in the headlines recently. Um, so in, but, but we're seeing it in Russia and it's maybe easier to watch it unfold in Russia and then let that be a mirror to us here where the, one of the primates of the, of the Russian church, one of the leaders of the Russian church, a uh, Russian Orthodox church, uh, top leader uh, has given this, you know, glowing endorsement of Putin and the war in Ukraine. And uh, why did he do it? Because he, Putin is against 
gay pride parades. Mm. And, um, and this so deeply offends this guy. So you realize that these weird things are happening in religion. And what's happening in, in Russia is many Russian Orthodox priests for the first time in their lives are having to stand up and oppose the leaders in their hierarchy. And that's a really big deal in, yeah. in Eastern Orthodoxy. And, and then it's happening around the world. The Ukrainian leaders are having to stand against the Russian leaders and every other uh, sector in Eastern Orthodoxy is saying we cannot remain silent. And, and so what happens, I think, for the people who are talking to you is they say, I can't remain silent or I'll, I'll feel guilty. But if I speak up, am I even going to be wanted? Is there a place for me? Those would be the kinds of struggles that people are facing and talking to me about and sending me emails about and coming up to me after speaking engagements to share with me. And, um, and so, yeah, that's the, the genesis of this book. Yeah. And What's fascinating to me in the uh, the intro to the book, um, and I think I even mentioned this to you when we were, when we met in person, that I really appreciate that you are right out the gate saying, "Hey, I'm not here to to convince anybody. That's not the purpose of the book. Um, there's a there's a no, you don't stay section. There's a yes, you do stay, and then there's a how. There's like a bit of a bridging and a reconciling of everything that you've read before." And you, you give a note to the reader of like, if you've already left or you're considering leaving, start with yes. Um, and then, you know, because no will be easy for you to digest and, and yeah. yet, or spend more time, I think is what is what I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Um, and then the opposite is true. If you're already in there, start, yeah. you know, spend some more time with no. And, and it true to form, I, uh, so I started with the no section because that is where I am. I have left the church, but I'm still very spiritual in my own beliefs. And it was very easy for me to read it and identify and say, yes, yes. Got to the yes section. It was a lot harder for me to read yeah. through those pieces. And I think some of it was because, not because I was having my own questions, but it was, it was, there was one section that really resonated with me. And I think it was in the how section. But you talk, I'm going to jump around a bit, so I apologize yeah, to the listener. Yeah, no, but but um, uh, you talk about the, if you need to leave the, the, the faith, that is fine if that is what you need. But don't leave thinking that that will solve your problems because it is likely that you are going through your own developmental stage. And that mm. is what you're actually seeking is that, that almost evolutionary yes. evolution of thought. And I was like, that rang so true. And it was hard for me to, to see that because I was having to like rethink a lot of items. And I think in some ways I did leave thinking like this, I just, this is the bad thing, quote unquote, right? I need to get yeah. away from that and whatever. And then I'm like, oh, interesting. Mysteriously, my, my issues didn't go away. Mm. And then it wasn't until I did my own self-reflection, my own work and my own phasing up that, that it got to where I wanted to go. So in the, in the no section, circling back to that, there's yes. a couple. There's a couple things I want to talk about specifically. Um, one thing that was interesting that I would like to make note of in the in the no section, because of Christianity's high global death toll, you talk about uh, uh, the doctrine of discovery, or perhaps better called the doctrine of white Christian supremacy, unleashed a wave of catastrophes that continue to shape our global situation today. And what was interesting to me, you list quite a bit of them, I won't recount them, but what was interesting to me is the the way in which, I mean, I think a lot of folks are familiar with the Crusades, but I think the way in which yeah. you detailed the variety of, of death toll that Christianity played yeah. in that was really mm -hmm. eye-opening for me. So I wanted to know, ask you, um, how much of this did you know kind of going in and how much did you discover as you were doing a lot of research? Yes. So um, that, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I, I think like a lot of people, I knew about the Crusades and I right. heard things about the Crusades. But in researching the book, I actually went through and read about all the different Crusades and, and, uh, and, and just the complexities and weird things that happened. Like for example, in some of the crusades, they were so badly planned, a little bit like we're seeing with Russia invading Ukraine. They were just so badly planned, so badly organized 
that huge numbers of people died of sickness. Mm. Like the, you know, the Christians who went to fight holy wars had this huge death toll among themselves because they didn't have good sanitation and they didn't have enough food. I mean, it was just pathetic and heartbreaking and catastrophic, but, uh, uh, but then one of the things that became clearer to me in doing the research for that chapter, we think about the Crusades as one thing. And then a lot of people don't realize that colonialism, what we call colonialism, yep. really in many ways is the successor to the Crusades. In other words, the momentum that's built in the Crusades gets this shot of adrenaline in 1452 yep. when uh, Pope Nicholas V tells the kings of Europe to go into all the world and make slaves of all nations and to export, exploit their labor, exploit their natural resources. It's just staggering when you read, I don't know how you felt, but yeah. you know, when you read that document, you just think, can this be real? This, right. this must be a forgery. No, it's real. And, and then you realize the history that unfolded. So when, when I think I got a clearer sense of how that history one thing flowed into the other. Yeah. And then one, one other thing that um, was, I don't think I'd ever really dug this deep into it, but um, as part of writing the book, I, I did a, a lot of research on witch burnings. I'd heard about witch burnings, you know, uh, read the, uh, or, or uh, went to the play. What's the famous play about oh, the, the Salem the witch Salem trials? trials? Yeah. Uh, the, the crucible, crucible. the crucible. Yep. Yes. And in fact, one of my kids played a lead role in the crucible <laughs> and um but I, I was surprised to learn, for example, that Catholics were doing some witch burning. Mm. But when the Protestant Reformation took over, the Protestants just, they were deep into witch burning. And, yeah. and it ex exploded under the Protestants. And uh, so when you read that over uh, you know, many years, about 40,000 women were killed um, uh, during the, the witch trials, that's the estimate. Yeah. Um, uh, you think, I mean, that's a lot of people in yeah. Europe, you know, yeah. in, in, in that time. But then you also think about how killings, we have a word for those kinds of killings today. It's called terrorism. Yeah. And you, however many you kill, thousands more are frightened into silence. Yes. And I think all of that hit me in a deeper way, uh, working yeah. on those, those chapters. Yeah. And that's, that's what I, the, you did. It's exactly it, right? When I was reading it, I think we are we as readers and and people who have grown up in in um, the evangelical church in some denomination are are have these categories of um, terrorism as an example, right? Or uh, the Crusades, and then we think of them like your point as these isolated items without recognizing, like, no, these are really all versions of the crusades and and the the overarching power and it's it's an attempt right and we see this over the time it's an attempt to maintain that white patriarchal power which you talk about in another of the chapters um as far as um the uh white christian old boys network or specifically white patriarchy and it is astounding to me how when we reframe what we've heard of so long and put it in the context of this is a constant push to acquire more and more and more mm -hmm. power for control mm -hmm. purposes, we start to recognize this isn't about faith or religious convictions or Jesus's message at all. This is about mm -hmm. trying to spread somebody's idea of what is right yeah. versus wrong. And, yeah. and I will admit my own personal uh, journey and perspective, I saw a lot of this white patriarchal power play out where I would see um, a, an example that I, I have given frequently has been when I was growing up, we didn't have, so I grew up in the Southern Baptist church and we never had any women pastors at any level. Um, and mm -hmm. I was told it was because women can teach, but they can't lead some, some weird, you know, bias in that perspective, because you would see women all in the children's ministry and then <laughs> yes. eventually a children's minister who was a woman, but that was his, that was the ceiling. That was as far never yes. a youth minister, never a singles pastor, right? Never an associate pastor, never on the deacons, right? Like all of these things. And it, and whenever there was someone 
who was very passionate and would show a lot of gusto and have a lot of good ideas, they would just leave the church and just yes. be like, oh, they've, they've chosen to leave was the, the frequent phrase. And it's like, no, yep. you are silencing them and, yes. and causing them, driving them out because you want to keep your power yes. and keep that old, old boys network. And so I want to know, coming back to that part, and then we'll start digging into the yeses um, because yes. I want to, let's go down and then let's, let's end on a high. Um, <laughs> but how, I, I'm sure you're very familiar with this, this network, having been a pastor uh, multiple times, yeah. but I would say, how, ha, how did your experiences with this type of a network through the years shape the one shape the the chapter specifically but then also what did you want what were you wanting to impart on the reader with those lessons that you learned yeah well uh, i think to answer that second question first uh, i think uh, whenever people in power get to write the story and seize the headlines when people experience abuse or harm or insult or shaming, they feel delegitimized and, yep. and, and nobody, and it's very hard to feel that people will take them seriously. So part of what I'm trying to do in that section is say, listen, if you're angry, if you're hurt, you have, you have good reasons to be angry and hurt. So using myself as an example is kind of interesting because here I am a straight white male. <laughs> I'm like a prime candidate for getting a lot of power right. in, in that old boys network. Right. Um, and because I, I violated some of the norms. Yeah. Um, I had experiences where I saw behind the curtain. Mm. Um, I, I, I can think of three. I, I don't want to mention names for various sure, reasons, but, uh, there was a very well-known Christian magazine and I was a, a contributor to this magazine. And one of the senior editors of the magazine called me one day and he said, and, and I, he was the person I worked with for the writing that I did. And I was a pastor at the time. And he, he called me and said, I just came out of a board meeting where one of our other editors, in fact, his boss said, uh, announced that he was out to destroy McLaren. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, and first, I, I was shocked to hear that those discussion, those kinds of discussions would happen <laughs> right. in a Christian meeting. Yeah. I was even more shocked to hear that I was the one who was being destroyed. <laughs> and so this fellow called me to say, I just, he said, you need to know he's the only one who feels that way. There, so many of the others of us appreciate you. He said, but I just needed to call you and tell you, watch your back. He's out to get you. Yeah. And uh, I won't go into the, where that sure. story led, but that was a little view behind the curtain. Right. Um, and oh, I could give other, other stories too, but uh, all that's to say, I, I came to realize that there are ways in religious organizations that, that there are certain lines that if you cross, you will be punished. For example, if I was in, grew up in an evangelical setting, I found out through experience that if you are kind to liberals, right. uh, that's the sign that you're untrustworthy. Right. If, if you show respect for Muslims and Jews with, and you're not only showing them respect to try to convert them, but you actually like them and respect them and see value in their, their religion. You find out, okay, the old boys network will close around you, you right. know? And uh, so, you know, you, you, you learn those things. I, I, there was one very famous evangelical leader and I engaged him. In fact, I did this with several of them when they write something really nasty about me, I, I would just write very kindly and, and, politely. I, I, I honestly did this not to defend myself, but as an act of loving my neighbors myself, I wrote to this one guy and I said, look, you said, you know, several things about me that are your opinion. And you're certainly entitled to, to your opinion. I said, but you wrote these four things about me that are factually untrue. Right. And if I had written something factually untrue, I, I wouldn't want to keep repeating it because I don't want to bear false witness against my neighbor. And I I'm sure you would not want to do that either. So I sent this very nice letter. He wrote me back the, the nastiest, most mm. condescending, insulting letter. And I'll tell you this amazing feeling I had, like I had, it was almost like 
I, I, I can't explain it except as a white guy, I, I, I'm, I mean, this, I don't know if this is good or bad, but as a white guy, I remember thinking, this is how people of color feel right, right. <laughs> to yeah. be talked to. And this is how sure. women feel, right? right. I, I was demoted from my place of privilege right, right. And, yeah. and humiliated. Oh my gosh, it was a great experience for me. I mean, in, in the sense that it it's helped me be a better person because right. I had not seen that kind of treatment before, but then I realized, oh, other people deal with this all the time. You know, you're, you're exactly right. And so I think kind of segueing into the yes part of the question, right? So one of the, one of the pieces that you have um, in the yes section, and let me see if I had marked it here. Yes, is about, um, so you had, because leaving defiantly or staying compliantly are not my only options. And you talk quite a bit about staying defiantly, right? And so I think what's interesting about that is you're almost in a way you're saying to the person who wrote you back that email, right? And others who are saying, I'm out to get McLaren and, and whatnot, that I'm not going anywhere. These are the, these are the beliefs I have. This is my faith. This is what is important to me. And this is what is important as the interpretation of this religion and this faith and Jesus's words that I want to make the world a better place and think about the climate disaster that we've got, the this political divide that we have going on, like all of these different crises. I'm staying. You can't get rid of me. You can't tell me I am no longer a Christian because I'm staying defiantly. I'm putting my plaque, my, my flag in the sand, <laughs> right? And I'm saying this is, or in the ground rather, and then saying like, this is what, this is who I am and this is what I'm saying. And, you know, everything else who cares because yeah. because i'm staying defiantly so i want to say what was um <laughs> because that was an interest that was an interesting chapter for me to read because i think in a lot of ways um the e it is easy to quote unquote run and i don't mean to diminish what folks like myself yeah, have yeah. needed to get as a way of getting yes. out yes 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 but i've had i could see the correlation i remember bringing this up to you in person of um, I have a lot of friends who flee Texas for California or New yeah. York, Portland, a lot of safer places for them because they need that. And yes. I completely understand. I do not fault them for it. But when they ask me, Joe, why are you staying in Texas? I now say I'm staying defiantly because I'm yes. not going to allow others to define what being a Texan yes. is because it is not one dimensional. It is not all of these things that you see on the news, text, being a Texan to me is a lot of multifaceted things, one of which is being a good neighbor. So I, I want to flip it to you and say, what was the, the kind of turning point for you to say, like, to use the word specifically, I'm staying defiantly? Where did that come yeah. from? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think there are times to go and I think there are times to stay. Mm -hmm. I think... I think that particular phrase uh, um, really I got in, in my conversations with the two nuns that I talked about in that chapter. Yep, yep. Um, uh, they may not have used the term, but I, probably the term uh, came to me from witnessing them. Sure. Um, um, but uh, I, I think m my basic feeling is that th there are times you need to leave for your mental health, your physical health to, in a sense, remove yourself from abuse. You know, there are times a person, uh, there are times a person needs to leave, right. but, uh, there, but there are times when deep in your heart, you say, I can't go, you know, yeah. I, I, this is my job. And, and that's what I, I have felt. If I, there were many times where I prayed, I, I, I literally would say, please, God, give me permission to give up and get out of here. My life would be so much easier. But, um, but I never felt that permission, you know, and, and, and maybe someday I will, right? right. I, I, I certainly felt that in relation to the little denomination I grew up in. Um, but uh, I did feel permission to, to, leave that it was just very clear there was no place for me there and it and yeah it was going to be nothing but misery but in the larger christian community this is the other thing the larger christian community does have room for people like me and people like you 
Um, it, it's just there are sectors of it that don't. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the. I think that's part of the the, the struggle that each person is going to have to figure out. I, and you know, it's funny, if I were to pick a state that I thought is probably the state that's the least, that there'd be the least chance of people being able to stay defiantly, I, I might think of Texas, but I think I would think of Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and, and here's an irony. I had an interview earlier today with two guys from Oklahoma and man, they are fired up and they are staying defiantly. Oh, I love and it. so, uh, you know, uh, the, and they're, they're from, they're from a denomination that's even more conservative than the Southern Baptist. So, uh, yeah, I love it. You know, it's, um, I think this is what's interesting to me and I'm going to circle back to the book here in just a moment, but it's interesting to me how, how the, the various power that something like social media or media yeah. in general, because we're talking about podcasts, has because on the one hand it's allowed us to be in echo chambers and even more divided because we no longer have to talk to our physical neighbors around us because i can go talk to 10 other people who feel the same way i do and we can yes. go like march and organize and whatever on our own yeah. that being said it also has the capacity to introduce us to those people that are staying defiantly and have the same perspectives and yes. are in Oklahoma and I'm in Texas and I can say, oh, that's awesome. I'm not alone. I have that connection in another state, a state as close as Oklahoma. And yeah. it's just interesting when and how we choose to use that, that, uh, that power, I guess, is what mm -hmm. I would say. It mm -hmm. always astounds me. Um, mm. And I want to, going back to the yes section, you have the, these different stages of development. You've got the simplicity, yeah. the complexity, the perplexity, and the harmony. And you talk about, if I recall correctly in this chapter, you talk about your work in the emergent movement of the Christian faith as being firmly in that perplexity state mm -hmm. of wanting to challenge and talk and get fired up. And I identified because it was interesting to me because when I discovered the emergent faith, the emergent church movement with yourself, mm -hmm. Rob Bell, several other people, I think Tony Campolo may have been part of that if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, when I read those those books and and followed a lot of the teachings during that time period, it made me fired up and it made me be like, you know, I don't know about this. Like, I don't want to say like tear it all down, but I really was just like, what is the point of this? And then I feel that I'm now at the phase in my life where I'm in that harmony space where I can to go back to the beginning allow these these energy and thoughts and everything to flow through me and listen yes. and not try and manage it so i want to know what was um because you've got quite a bit about like key values authority figures life god god is core questions mistakes are a lot of excellent yeah. excellent work i want to say what was so a two-part question here one what was your journey like moving from perplexity to harmony mm. and then how did you come up with all of the different uh, items to include in that table? Because it's quite yeah. a, a comprehensive list. So I'm interested as to like the parameters that went into building that for others. Yes. So um, these four stages, uh, I, I give a summary of in this book. And I actually wrote my previous book, uh, Faith After Doubt, really was a much deeper dive into this four stages. And, and the four stage model that I'm giving is a synthesis. It's not original. There might be a few little original things in there, but most of it is a synthesis of uh, really great work and empirical research done by a number of social psychologists, educational psychologists, human developmental theorists, um, and, and some theologians who do it in the realm of, uh, of uh, practical theology and so on. So there's a huge amount of actual empirical research um, that and my four stages are a way of simplifying, uh, you know, a number of different uh, uh, theories and, and models. Um, but uh, what happened is I, I had, uh, when I was doing some of this other research uh, and learning 
for my work as a secular professor, I worked as a college teacher at a university, English teacher at a university. Um, I, I was learning about this to help me understand adolescent intellectual development, to help me understand how to teach them literature and, and writing and composition and so on. But as I was learning this, I'm thinking, this helps me understand what's going on in my own life with my own theology and my, my spiritual struggles. And so um, it, it took a while, but gradually I, be, I began to try to share this with people. And every time I shared it, it seemed to unlock something for people. And then they'd share a story or an experience. And so really this developed through my many, many years as a pastor to um, into kind of the full-blown uh, version of it that, that you, you uh, saw both in that chapter and in the table at, at the back of the book. Um, uh, but um, I, I, I think my, I was in stage three and I really liked stage two and I kept wishing I could get back to stage two. Right. I was in complexity, I was in perplexity and I wanted to go back to complexity. Right. Um, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't in good faith. And so there was a negative side of this and a positive side of this for me, uh, Joe. The negative side was I was cynical about everybody else. Right. And I was critical of everybody else. And then when I finally said, but how am I doing any better? I, and, and in a sense, I became cynical about my own cynicism right. <laughs> and critical of my own critique. Right. And I thought, how am I going to do any better? That made it harder for me to stay where I was. I, I thought there's got to be something better other than just saying what everybody else is doing wrong. Right. And by the way, the part of me that was an academic, you know, in, in the Academy, you can make your living just critiquing what everybody else does wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, but as a pastor, you kind of have to have something better. And, and what helped me in the positive side is every once in a while I'd meet someone and I'd think they've asked all the questions I've asked but they're in a better place. They've gotten to something that I haven't gotten to. Or I'd read a book and I think that that person is somewhere beyond me. And that is what began to give me hope. And it's really one of the reasons I've, I, I write is because I want to help people. I want to help people get that feeling like right. there's somewhere else for me to go. I don't have to be stuck here. It's, It is interesting too, because you talk about the, the people can make a living just critiquing others' words and others' yeah. work, right? And so as we've moved um, through the no and then, then the yes and in the how part of the book, one of the things you talk about in the rewild chapter, we mentioned it kind yes. of earlier, um, is that words are an excellent way in which we can describe how we're feeling, we can share concepts and ideas, and we can also get stuck. Yes. And when we do that, you know, in the corporate world, you get the phrase like analysis paralysis in a lot of ways, yes. right? You're just talking and talking yeah. and talking and you're not actually doing anything. But then in and of itself, it's so, it is so interesting how the work can become so daunting that we need the ability to to reconnect and ground ourselves in nature. And I was remembering, so in a lot of work that I do, a lot of talk, right? A lot of deep conversations, yes. a lot of work in a similar way that we're talking now. And I, uh, my daughter had spring break. And so we went to visit friends and family in Atlanta and we stopped um, in Alabama for the night and we woke up. And one of the things we've made as a family, as a point is to go hiking every single vacation every single vacation, no matter what, we'll find a, a national park or a state park and we will go and we will hike. And we found this place. It's wonderful called Moss Rock Preserve. I'm saying it so hopefully mm -hmm. somebody can go find it. It's in Alabama near Tuscaloosa. I think actually it's in Birmingham, if I am correct. Beautiful, giant moss covered rocks, Native mm -hmm. American like caves and different things and beautiful waterfalls. And I just remember walking through tilting my head back as I'm doing now, sticking my arms out and just inhaling mm, all mm. that was around me. And I felt yeah. grounded and centered to nature. So I, yeah. so I want to ask you, how do you protect yourself from getting stuck? And I know you live in Florida. You talked in yeah. the book that you went to the Everglades, which sounds incredible. Yeah. 
how do you continue to carve out space for yourself to be able to reconnect with nature? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I should just add, this is a special challenge for me because I spent, you know, my first career as a teacher of literature, all about reading words and talking about words. And then I became a pastor, which had a lot to do with the Bible, which is a large collection of words at which we would multiply millions of words. And now I'm a writer. So, uh, you know, my life is very, very logocentric, as people would say, very (laughs) word centered. Um, And so what I need to do is I need to get out in nature alone because if look, I love to go out in nature with other people, but if I'm with other people, we talk. Yeah. And um, so I need to be, and I'm not saying anybody else needs to do just this, but with my peculiar needs and situation, I need to be in nature. I need to be alone so that I go a long period of time without talking and, and without dealing with words. And then what I try to do is just re-inhabit my body. The, mm. what I call it in, in, in the, in that, in the chapter of the book, my wild body, because yes. our body is wild, you know, our, our words and brains become very civilized and, and so on, but our body is wild. And, and I try to re-inhabit my body. What am I hearing? What am I smelling? What am I seeing? Um, and, as I re-inhabit that world and slow down, it's sometimes, you know, if I have a full day, I might spend the first half day just getting the words, the, the flow of words to slow to uh, from a torrent to a trickle. Um, and then maybe we reach some peace. Yeah. And, um, and that's what becomes super necessary for me. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is how so many of our metaphors and, and language of God has, feels feels so polluted and so overworn that they stop working uh, and they bring along all kinds of baggage. And if I were to offer a, a name for for you know the 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 character formerly known as God, <laughs> you know, or, or or the one we're pointing to when we right. say we're God. I, one of the names I would use is the presence I encounter in silence. Mm. And uh, so that's part of how that works for me. I love it. Well, at the end of the book, you tell people how to continue to, whether they're staying Christian, whether they're not staying Christian, how we continue to make a more inclusive world, which is what we're all about here. The detox podcast is for them to stay human. So knowing that that's how you close the book, as we're wrapping up the podcast here, I want to know what is a additional piece of advice or takeaway you would like to give those who are entering the book, finished reading the book, entering the world, whatever, on how they can continue to not only stay human themselves, but see those around them as their fellow yes. human. Yes. You know, something that actually just became clear to me today, um, uh, Joe, it's funny. Like if I could go back, I would stick these couple of sentences in the book, but it just became clear to me today that one of our problems with labels is that other people come up with definition with with definitions for these labels and some labels certify us as acceptable. Right. Um, And it, and it can be liberal is a label for some people that makes them acceptable. Conservative makes other people uh, acceptable. But whatever the label is, it comes with a definition. And I love to accept this definition because it makes me acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, and Christian can be one of those labels. Right. And what strikes me about this is if you then say, oh, good, I've met the minimum requirements for being a Christian. I'm acceptable. I don't need to keep growing. <laughs> <laughs> At that moment, the very word Christian can help you become a worse person. Right, right. <laughs> because it puts you in this complacent category that I've arrived and I'm on yeah. the inside now. So part of what I think happened to me as I wrote this book and, and you know, grappled with the content and, and how to communicate it is I realized that part of what I'm doing is just growing up as a human being and saying, instead of having other people and the labels that they offer me as ways to get on the in-group and be acceptable, 
I, I'm trying to say, ask myself this question, what kind of human being do I actually want to be? Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, that's what I would leave people with, that yeah. question. How do I want to be a human being? In what way, what kind of person, what kind of human do I want to be? And ironically, I think that's what Jesus was actually getting at, you know, yeah. um, what kind of human are, are we going to be? I don't think he was trying to create a new category in which people could be complacent and feel superior, right? Right. <laughs> nor was he creating a category to make people feel miserable. I think he was trying to create a space where we're confronted with our own existence yeah. and our own opportunity yeah. to become somebody. And, you know, uh, Joe, your journey in this last couple of years and you're continuing to courageously answer that question and uh it's why all your listeners to this podcast are lucky to have you in their lives because you're you're working on that week by week thank you for the kind words brian this is fantastic well as we know your book is coming out next month so what is the best way for folks to pre-order it and get it and be ready uh to consume it from day one Sure. Well, if they would like to pre-order it, that would be great for the book. It'll help, uh, you know, more people hear about the book. So you could pre-order it anywhere. I always encourage people, if they possibly can, to pre-order it from a, a local independent bookstore. But, you know, any any bookstore that you normally use is fine, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's, avail it's widely available. And um, if you pre-order it, it should arrive out. Uh, right on or before May 24th. Perfect. Excellent. And now, uh, so thank you so much, Brian. We are going to transition now to the last part of the of the show, which is things to check out. So it's a segment where I provide something I'm either reading, listening, or watching to, and I invite my guests to do the same. Um, this is a little bit of an interesting week for me because normally I have something interesting that like as a podcast and a book and a show or whatever, I just have one thing I want people to check out is because I just became aware of it um, and it has consumed my entire week. Um, so in 1971, James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni had a conversation on the TV show Soul, which was a PBS TV show back, back at that time. And uh, Baldwin was 46 and Giovanni was only 28 at the time. Baldwin was a noted author, Giovanni uh, uh, author, and I believe a poet as well. And they had a two-hour conversation that was aired over two nights. And for hours of absolute presence, intellectual communion, and occasional respectful rebuttal, they explored justice, freedom, morality, and what it means to be an empowered human being. And the transcript was eventually published as, uh, it's called, and I quote, a dialogue um, and then Ida Lewis, uh, who wrote the preface for the transcript, saw the dialogue between Baldwin and Giovanni as an effort to, as, as she put it, begin to draw upon each other's strengths rather than wallow in each other's weaknesses. Mm. An effort all the more urgent today. And the full conversation mm. is actually available on YouTube. There's a variety of ways in which PBS and other people have uploaded it. Um, and I'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes as well. But... I was captivated by the, the nuanced conversation between these two generational uh, black leaders, right? Um, mm -hmm. And authors and voices of their time. Yes. And they were both, like it, it talked about, they were, they were agreeing in a lot of ways and disagreeing respectfully. And it's rare, yes. it is so rare yes. that you hear the words, I hear what you're saying, I don't see it that way. I understand why you do and why that is truth for you. This is no longer truth for me. So mm -hmm. where do we go from here? Bringing it all the yes. way back around. And I was just, I found myself, I was making dinner and I had it up uh, and I was listening to it. I had an earbud in and I just stopped cooking and just watched for 30 solid minutes because mm -hmm. it was so, it was so powerful and it is they're talking about racial injustice. They're talking about uh, perceptions of black men versus black women. And also Baldwin being a black gay individual, the nuances in there. And so I just, I highly encourage everyone to go check that out this week for sure. Um, so Brian, what would, uh, what are you either reading, watching, listening to that you want to share? So you just sold me on that. I'm going to be <laughs> one of the people who finds that maybe on YouTube and watches yep. it. Um, so um 
I uh, I actually watched a, a movie that wasn't a great movie, but it was a good movie that uh, I think is a movie that brings you to this uh, a point of moral clarity. And it's called The Colony. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a science fiction it. movie. And it, it uh, has this very intense, slow beginning. And sometimes that loses people. But if you stick with it, it brings it brings you to a point of moral clarity and that's probably all i should say um yeah but i think you know so much uh, art uh, i'm sorry so much entertainment is more amusement than art right. it's just something yeah. to fill your time and this one felt like uh, a movie that is actually trying to take you somewhere yeah i like it very good well brian if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to do that um, my website is my name, Brian McLaren.net, B R I A N M C L A R E N.net. And uh, if you go there, you can find where I'm at, where I am on social media, and you can find, uh, uh, you know, access to my, my different books and writings. I have a couple of ebooks people might be interested in. Perfect. Well, Brian, this is always a pleasure for me, and I feel like there's never enough time to talk about everything, but I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And seriously, thank you for the space you create uh, a gift to every one of your listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.